before I continue in the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians, I really think that someone deserves a hand for going above and beyond the call of duty. Uh, treasure, it should be you. <laughs> and meanwhile, uh, when you start preaching through a book, uh, you really must must address every verse in the book. Uh, for those of you who have attended all, uh, all the services since I began the book of Ephesians, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, as I finish Ephesians next week, you will have heard every verse of this book read in the Sunday morning services. Uh, I'll pick up in chapter 6, verse 1, where St. Paul gave the, the Ephesians, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think that nothing really speaks of hope in this world quite like a wedding. It doesn't matter if civilization is collapsing around us. It doesn't matter if some geologic calamity is going off. It doesn't matter if the economy falls on the floor or whatever happens. It seems that time and again in history, man and, wo- man and woman have fallen in love with each other. And it doesn't matter whether, whether anything is going right or not. They still fall in love, or in love and pledge their lives to one another and do so with all intentions of of doing so until death do us part. I believe we need to keep in mind as we go through the scriptures that God, as I said last week, does give us standards standards in his scripture, and as believers in Christ, we have no right to to, uh, trifle with those, uh, those standards. We must keep to the standards that God gives us in scripture. If we confess him as Lord, believing that he raised Jesus from the dead, then as our Lord, he has a right to speak on every situation, and that includes family relations as well. Now keep in mind that in the time of St. Paul and the Ephesians to whom he's he's writing, uh, the Greco-Roman society had their standards of family just as we have our standards. Uh, Their standards were a little looser in some ways than ours. Uh, Keep in mind, as I said last week, uh, the archaeologists dug up a, a tunnel going from the library to a brothel over in Ephesus, uh, which gives you meaning to the word, to the phrase, I'm going to the library. Um, when St. Paul came into Ephesus and he preached the gospel, and when people were born again, they had to accept a higher standard. And in that light, when he came to this part of the, uh, of the letter, St. Paul had to address certain things going on in the Ephesian church that still go on today. Once again, it's amazing to me at how scriptures still speak to us. They still have the life of God in them. And when it came to this point, you really need to go up a verse to, to really make some sense of this thing about submitting. Because St. Paul says, first off, as I read last week, that we're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
you really cannot get away from the fact that in the church, as the believers in Christ, as the redeemed of God, that we must submit our own desires to one another, put our desires last, and put someone else's well-being first. And it's in that light that St. Paul goes on to tell the wives to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. And then he gives us a reason for that. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body is himself its Savior. Now, I know, I know that everybody has had a conversation where somebody has said, Wives, submit yourselves to the Lord. Stop. And everybody knows how that conversation can go. Folks, once again, I look around, and, 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 and unless you've got me fooled, no, most of us here are good old Scots-Irish folk. We all know about steel magnolias in the South. And we all know how many times it's a steel magnolia that keeps things going in the South. And some folks uh, will want to talk about, about this submission and everything, and they want to talk about it as if it's somebody putting somebody under the thumb. Well, let me point something out to you. Um, had a conversation this, this a conversation that this morning uh, in in mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, writing running as a single man, says that when it comes down to this, in every situation, regardless of how equal the relationship might be, sooner or later somebody has to make the call. If you take a coaching staff and everybody on the staff has the same responsibility, the same level of authority, and nobody makes the call. You're not going to have that for a coaching staff very long. Somebody's going to clean house. And it's the same way in the business. How many of us have worked in businesses where you had so many bosses that nothing ever got done? For reasons known only to himself, in the marital relationship, God says that we're supposed to treat each other as, as believers in Christ. We're supposed to treat each other equally. But when it comes down to making the call, it's the man that has to make the call. Now, I know there are a lot of families where some folks say, uh, say well, well, well that, uh, that that guy just shouldn't make the call, and some families where it doesn't work that way. I'll address some of that a little bit later on. But men, we have a responsibility to make the call. We have a responsibility to do everything we must do to ensure we make the right call. And we have a responsibility to ask forgiveness both from God and our wives when we blow it and make the wrong call. You'll notice I use the words when and we. Because I stand before you today as a husband, and I'll tell you right now, as many times over the past 22 years as I've tried to make the right call, sometimes I've blown it. And I freely admit that. Thank God for grace. Because St. Paul goes on to say about the husbands, and here's something that really needed, that I wish all these folks wanted to talk about the wives submitting would get on to this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You will not find anywhere in Scripture where a woman is supposed to give her life for her husband but here St. Paul says we're supposed to love our wives enough to surrender our lives for them. Now, if you're going to die, if you're willing to die for somebody, you'd best be willing to do whatever's necessary to do whatever will elevate them, will lift them up. Don't you notice here that when Christ died for the church, he did so that he might sanctify her, set her apart for himself. Cleansing her by the washing of water with the word. And here we go, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Guys, let me tell you, the way we treat our wives should lead to their spiritual maturity and their spiritual exaltation above anything else. 
if you know, in, a, in a properly working miracle relationship where the believers that were both are believers before Jesus Christ, the wife should be holier now than she was the day you met her or the day you married her. She should be stronger spiritually than the day you met her. And that's a great responsibility. No, we have all these people out there that want to talk about the rights. Well, no, I have the right to do this and I have the right to do this. They don't want to talk about the responsibility. When you get into Scripture, you cannot escape the fact that every fa- everyone in the family has rights, but they also have responsibilities. And for reasons that he knows, and for reasons that he may not reveal in Scripture or not, it's beside the point, God has given the, he's given the husband the greater responsibility. And we will answer for how we accept and how we discharge that responsibility. No two ways about it. So, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. Well, if we truly love our wives as we love ourselves, once again, we're going to put them first. We're going to put the wives first, and we're going to do things that elevate them, that show that we cherish and love them, and we're going to nurture them in every possible way, so that one of these days, when we both stand before Almighty God on the Day of Judgment, the wife really does look uh, shine brighter than anything that we could ever imagine. Hmm, a little quiet there. Well, once again, if you're preaching through a book, you've got to address it all. So here's something else that goes on here. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Profound mystery, St. Paul says. But I'm saying it refers to Christ and his church. Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. In a properly functioning Christian marriage, you're going to have about as close to an equal relationship as you can possibly have. Probably about 50.1 to 49.9, something like that. When it comes down to it, believers in Christ should agree on most things. And then, in cases where somebody has to make the call, husbands, that's our responsibility. And yet you can treat it as right as you wish, but never forget the responsibility and never forget who gave it to you. Um, and once again, when God sets a standard, we have no right to trifle with it. And then St. Paul goes on about the children. Obeying your parents and the Lord, for this is right. I'm here to tell you, I have, uh, of all the Feed the Lambs lessons I've ever seen, that was one that's going to stick with me for the ages. Do you realize that sometimes the kids think, well, this is just an adult thing and so forth. Well, kids... If you're here and you're still living at home, let's say you're, you're the age of, eight, uh, of 17 and under, please raise your hand. 17 and under, raise your hand. So I can see who's supposed to be paying attention to you. Great. Okay. I've got you in mind. Let me tell you a few things about the parents. First off, you may think that they make some of the oddball, oddballest rules you've ever heard in your life. Why in the world can't I do this? Why in the world do you say I should have to do this? Why in the world you don't know what you're talking about? Oh, sister, yes, they do. Yes, we do. You see, here's the thing about being an adult. And I wish to heaven I'd known this back when I was a kid. Maybe I wouldn't have been in such a hurry about being an adult. When you're the adult, you have to make the call. You have to look out ahead, and you have to look for the danger zones, and you have to do your best to keep the kids out of the danger zones. And, okay, guys, I'm going to talk especially to you. Especially teenagers and about to be teenagers and everything. I'm going to tell you, there are times when we don't know anything about danger. 
Somebody tells us, hey, let's go swing that wide rope across that creek. That sounds like a great idea. No, it, hey, if one guy does it, the rest of them have got to prove the manhood and say they've got to do it too. Let me tell you, if mom or daddy says no, I don't care what your, what, what, what your friends do, stay off the rope. You see, we adults see danger where you don't. And here's the thing. St. Paul uh, quotes back out of Exodus about the honor your father and mother is the only commandment of promise that, it may, that you may live long in the land. One of my co-workers recently lost his aunt. And his aunt lived to the age of 108. And every time somebody asked her, how in the world do you live that long? Stephen said he always said one th- she always said one thing. Honor your father and your mother. And here's what it comes down to. But honor your father and your mother. I've come to realize that those who obey their parents now learn the, learn how to obey authority and how to obey those over them. And when they get older, they already have the they already have that practice set in their mind, and they manage to stay out of trouble a lot more and manage to enjoy a lot more responsibility and privileges because they stayed out of trouble. You start young obeying your father and mother, and later on you start obeying your teachers in school, your bosses at work, your professors in college, or whatever it may be, and things go much better for you. On the other hand, I have them in my family. You probably do too. Uh, Some of them, from the moment they were born, it's as if they were born to be wild. And you know what? They were wild when we were kids. And they want to be wild right now. Only thing is, they've already wrecked themselves and they can't even hardly get out of bed in the morning. And that's what happens when you go against the standards that God has set. God doesn't set these boundaries to him as in. He sets the boundaries to free us. He sets the boundaries to protect us. It's what adults do. It's what parents do. It's what God as our loving Father has done in Scripture, expecting the parents to pass it down to the children, expecting the children to accept the, to accept those boundaries. Now, some folks look at this about slaves and masters and say, well, that doesn't have anything to do with me. Well, let's kind of apply it to the workplace a little bit. How many of us here um, really obey those or over us as with, with a sincere heart as we would Christ? Uh, now, we've all worked in these workplaces where some of them, they're going to do the absolute minimum to get by. And everybody else is going to have to pick up the slack. Believers, we don't have that right. We don't have that privilege. We must work for those who employ us as, as, as we were working for Christ because in real sense we are. One of, the, no, one of the things that elevates Christ in the workplace is a godly believer doing above and beyond the call of duty to help other people see the difference that Christ makes in his life. And that's what it comes down to. And this is part about masters, about stop threatening your slaves and all this stuff. Uh, well, those of us in authority over somebody else must exercise that, that authority with a great sense of responsibility. Because it does come down to this. Everybody answers to somebody in some way or other. And the more, the more, the better you treat your employees, the better things are going to go. And here's the thing. Unless you work in a place where it's a 100% Christian, if you're an employer or a manager or something, if, you're under, if those under you know that you're a believer... 
They're judging your God by your actions and by your, by, by your philosophies and so forth. Just as those over us will judge our God by the, by the way that we work and by the, way that we, by the way that we conduct ourselves in the workforce. I told you in the first few chapters of Ephesians, uh, hey, this all sounds pretty good, but eventually Paul gets down to brass tacks. Folks, this is brass tacks here. <laughs> you can't get any more brass tacks in the practicalities of life. People who say, well, the Bible doesn't speak to real life. Oh, yes, it does, and now it has. Now, here's the thing. We all know that in a perfect world, you know, 2.5 kids, three cars in the garage, and all this stuff, and no, no oh, and a pet for everybody, and all this. In a perfect world, everything would work this way. I've lived long enough to realize, and actually realized it very early in life, we are a long way from a perfect world. We'd love to say that in every miracle relationship, the husband cherishes his wife and upholds her in such a way that she doesn't mind submitting to him because she trusts him. We, in a perfect world, every wife would do everything possible for her husband. The husband, as he does everything possible for her, they serve one another and they pass that down to the generations. In a perfect world, the kids would always come out just great. How many of y'all here have ever heard of a prairie home companion? Jerry Keeler, you ever heard of that guy? He had this line about this place called Lake Wobegon. Man, I love it. All the women are strong, all the men are good looking, and all the children are above average. <laughs> this is Romulus, not Lake Wobegon. Lake Wobegon doesn't exist. Um, several things to say here. For one, for those of us who come from families who may not meet quite this ideal, I would point out to you that in a very real sense, the rights and responsibility that God gives to the Ephesians and to us through his apostle St. Paul come because he serves as our father. He says that he, he is the God who has always referred to Israel in the Old Testament as, the, as his bride, you know, as a marital relationship. Where you see the church referred to in the New Testament as the bride of Christ. We can't get away from the fact that God serves as the ideal husband in some way or other. He loves and protects and cherishes his people and provides for his people. Regardless of how the marriage may go, go on a human level, in a spiritual level, we are still called to be faithful to him because he is faithful to us. Even in the midst of the worst apostasy Israel ever accomplished in the Old Testament, God remained faithful to his people. And his faithfulness was demonstrated on the cross of Calvary by Jesus' death and at the tomb by his glorious resurrection. And now everybody who confesses Jesus as Lord, believing God raised him from the dead, shall be saved, shall come into the church and enjoy a relationship with God that completely blows away any possible uh, ideal you may come up with for a marriage in any way. I also need to point out that St. Paul makes it very clear over in 1 Corinthians that God doesn't call everybody to be married. There are some folks out there who kind of wonder about this, but you read 1 Corinthians 7, you tell me. He doesn't beat around the bush. Some people are called to, called to singleness in this world. That's okay. Follow the calling God has given you. St. Paul says why God calls those people to sing with uh, uh, People here, uh, uh, sometimes the marriage works, sometimes it doesn't, uh, and we don't understand why. 
But you know, God still provides himself as our loving father who sets boundaries for us, as a loving husband who provides and cherishes us and who continually, continually uplifts his people. And it all comes down to what I, to something that we can never forget when we're going through the scriptures. It's called love. And I'm not talking about infatuation. I know we live in a society where people judge each other by how, how pretty they are. No, prettier she is, better off she's going to be. Well, let me tell you, God doesn't look at the outward beauty. He looks at the soul. And as believers in Christ, we too must look at the soul. I said something about mere Christianity earlier. Now, y'all heard me use this quote from the way of glory before. You have never met a mere mortal. Everyone you meet will live for eternity somewhere. And the way we treat them may do a great deal to determine where. That happens in our marital relationships, in our families, on the, work, uh, on the job, in school, where in the community, wherever you go. We must treat everybody either as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, in which case they're a member of the family and have the same father we do, or as someone who should be and whose salvation we wish to see. And as long as we keep those things in mind, as long as we recall the love of God for us and let that love shine through our lives as the Holy Spirit works within us, we will see marriages come together. We will see people elevated spiritually. We will see children raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord to go back to the King James we will see all of these things. Knowing full well, we live in a fallen world. And the church exists in part to help families come together and to lift up one another. But, but, but regardless of the situation of life, the church still exists here as the bride of Christ to draw together the people of God and to minister to everybody, regardless of whether they're in the family or not. If they are, great. If not, let's do everything we can to get them in. Because it does come down to, to this. About children obeying your parents if, uh, and you know, living long in the land and everything. If we obey our Heavenly Father, one day we shall enjoy eternal life. In a new heaven and a new earth. And y'all, it doesn't get any longer than that. So as you go out this week, let's go out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And let the love of God through Christ our Redeemer, shine in our lives and let people see there's a difference in us because Jesus has brought us into His family. And when we obey Him, we do enjoy life everlasting. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen.